Welcome to the Gospel According to Star Trek podcast. I'm Kevin C. Nice. And I'm Tim Van Orden, and this is episode 16, The Rediscovered Country. We'll be starting off with some Star Trek news and then discussing Discovery Season 3, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. And then we'll get into our audience question right after our main topic, which is the rediscovered country where Star Trek goes back to home and family and roots and seeks, well, sanctuary. Join us. All right. Wow. Episode 16, sir. Uh, This is getting real. This is a thing now. Just wait till we get to episode 20. I know. And 25. I know. What's going to happen? It's... It's a it's a whole vast mysterious unknown out there. It's like something it's I feel like undiscovered hmm? an territory, undiscovered. <laughs> <laughs> an unfound land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this used to be called the Undiscovered Country Project, and uh, so Tim is making a clever reference, as he usually does, um, to our past selves. So <laughs> nice. Um, hey, so uh, you have Star Trek news, I hear. I do. I just want to point out I've got my script up here uh-huh. and I keep my eyes keep falling on the outro where you say, Tim, what do we have coming up next week? And every time you don't ask me that, I get confused. So I, I need to move <laughs> my script away. <laughs> what uh, yeah. script? What script are you referring to, sir? There <laughs> the is no such thing as a script. script because we, this is all live. It actually is. The vast majority of it is. We we know that. Off the cuff. It's not unedited, but it is off the cuff. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Well, that's some Star Trek news right right there. So uh, I have this fancy piece of of information that someone just sent me today that I found uh, very interesting. And this item, I think, is going to go on my Christmas list. They're over on treknews.net. There is a review of the Star Trek, the artistry of Dan Curry. VFX Weapons and Wonders from TNG to Enterprise, the book Star Trek Deserves. Oh, that's the name of that's the, the name of the, the article. It's oh, it's the, the name of the article, not the book. <laughs> funny if that was the name of the book, though. The book Star Trek Deserves. Dude, that's awesome. Well, it's funny. the The title of the article is "And Wonders from TNG to Enterprise," but looking at the picture of the book, it just says "From TNG to Voyager." Really? Yeah. So there might not be any oh, Enterprise in there, interesting. which is a little disappointing because I, yes. I really liked the visual look of Enterprise. I do too. And that was the thing that struck me about Enterprise. Well, that struck me about the Kelvin Timeline film, uh, the first one when we went to see it in the theater, was I was like, wow, this is a really credible 23rd century to follow Enterprise's 22nd century. Um, I, I, yeah. But I, because I really felt like, I really felt like, Enterprise took us in such a new aesthetic direction for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. I, yeah, I really did too. The It kind of got a little bit of a submarine feel. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was awesome. So, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I love that kind of book, like with illustrations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And all that yeah, sort of lots thing. of pretty pictures. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. That That is the kind of stuff that just built nerddom. When we were younger, you know, mm-hmm. when you didn't have like websites to go on and an awesome right. gospel according to Star Trek podcasts to listen to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or memory alpha. Or memory alpha. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Man, going through those reference books, that was, that was everything. And they're still great. They're so beautiful. And you get so much information there. You won't get anywhere else. And so that's awesome. Agreed. I also have a so yeah, that's going on my Amazon list for Christmas. Yeah. I, I I hear that. 
Um, so what do you got? Oh, 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 oh. I have I have news too, don't I? Okay, this is cool. So I I'm, hear. I'm really excited about this. All right, um, hit me. There is, first of all, first of all, there, there are two, it's like two, two, two news articles uh, in one. Uh, uh, um, uh. <laughs> but um, one of them is that there is an upcoming Star Trek Voyager documentary. Chainway oh, News. I heard about that. <laughs> we got to have the Chainway News. Uh-huh. And it could be out in 2021. So that's exciting. But the piece that, that this is mentioned in that I just that, that is what drew my eye is that um, David Zapone, who was the producer of the Deep Space Nine documentary of What We Left Behind, said that there could be a spinoff of that documentary um, that like a, like a, a more like kind of a bonus documentary. Of um, the DS9 of, of Deep Space, yeah, for Deep Space Nine. Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry, I didn't make that clear. But um, he says we're working on it now. It's in the writers' room, and it will also include some of the interviews and things that we shot that couldn't make it into what we left behind. And um, uh, so yeah. it's what we left out of what we left behind. What we left out of what we left behind. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's great. I like it. That's what they should call it. We should get in touch <laughs> with David Zapone and let him know. <laughs> we got it solved for you, sir. Um, yeah, he says they're really in, in the creative sta- stage, but uh, because people seem really happy with it, they thought, well, you know, we might do something else. He says, I think we can be doing what we left behind sequels for the next 10 years, <laughs> <laughs> which I can imagine. But anyway, that excites me. I was just Very talking cool. with, that with is a, interesting. I was just talking with a friend of mine the other day about how influential Deep Space Nine is. And like the, the Star Trek we have today is, is so much because of Deep Space Nine. Absolutely. It's it's so important. And I. I still contend. I mean, I don't. I don't think about the new stuff yet because it hasn't. It hasn't had the years on it that the other stuff has. Mm-hmm. But pre Kurtzman era, I really believe Deep Space Nine is the most consistently well written series in Star Trek, um, and writing is everything in Star Trek. So mm-hmm. that's just a lot of it. And it really it opened the door. It gave people permission to do something different with star trek and to not yes. have to just do the the tng tos formula yes and that is the order of the day and the the great thing about it is that it it shows that it's perhaps even more important and even you maybe even do a better job of preserving the core of what star trek is meant to be when you tell more complex complicated morally muddy stories mm-hmm. um because that's I, I just i think that's beautiful and that's what we're seeing in present star trek and it, it makes me happy yep. so hooray for deep space nine indeed but we're not here to talk about deep space nine are we no not, we're not not ds9 well, but dsc i mean we might be here to talk we, about deep we, space nine we never know deep space depending nine depending on what the main topic up. becomes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, sir. <laughs> See, like on one part of the show, I'm like, I'm like trying to deny that this is scripted at all. And then the other time, the other part of the show, I'm trying to deny that we're making this up as we go. So, <laughs> so basically I can't decide how I want that to have can't it. Can't <laughs> have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Uh, once loved two girls at a time, Kate and Edith both were mine. I learned that what they say is true. You can't have Kate and Edith too. Um, so, anyway, that was pretty good. At first, That's, I was wondering where you were going with that. 
That's you an started old... off with once love two girls at the same time. I'm like, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, no, that's a, that's an old song by a, by a comedian juggler guy called Michael Davis. Okay. I saw him on the Johnny Carson show years ago and recorded it and just watched it over and over. The and Johnny Carson show. We're not yeah. that old. Carson. Yes, we are. I mean, no, are we're we not. Really? Yeah, we are. Oh man, you didn't. You grew up on Carson, just like I no, did. No, I never watched Carson. You never watched Carson? No. Come on, Carson was everything. No, I was sheltered. Oh, okay, all right. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. I was less sheltered. I'm not gonna say yeah, I, wasn't I know. How old were you when sheltered. you got to watch Last Temptation? <laughs> oh, I was like 16. Good I mean, night. You no, know, well, it's an R-rated film. You got to be 17 to see it. I mean, come on. Man, I my yeah, my parents would not let me watch R-rated films even with them. It's a Jesus movie. I mean, I'd, I'd seen well, RoboCop for goodness sakes. Oh yeah, no, I had to sneak that one. I don't, and I still like didn't ever see it all the way through. I, you know what? I don't know that I had seen RoboCop. In all honesty, I, okay. I really don't know for sure. Um, but I remember I go to parties and people were watching like. Um, I remember one time I went to a party and they were watching that Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Commando. And uh, I was like, ah, I wanted to leave the room because of all the graphic violence and stuff. Oh, yeah. I got, I was disturbed. I think one of the first serious R-rated films I ever saw was Pulp Fiction. Oh, Went over to a a friend's house. We were having a a group gathering and I went there and I'm like, what the heck is going on? You just dove right in, sir. Yeah. And I couldn't stand Pulp Fiction for years because of that. And I finally watched it again and I was like, this is kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. And that's the thing. Like it's, uh, you know, and you go through this, I go through this as a parent, um, you know, trying to think about what your kid's ready to see and and what they're not ready to see, because Mm -hmm. you don't want them to have that experience where like they see something and it puts them off and you're like, no, this is great. You need to love this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, yeah, it's true. So anyway, what are we talking about? Oh yeah. This is a Star Trek podcast. Right. I I forgot. Not a, (laughs) Days of your podcast, not a not a not a uh, what it's like to grow up in in Christian America podcast. Although it is a little bit of that. Um, what did you think of uh, Star Trek Discovery season three, episode eight, uh, the Sanctuary? There we go. Well, <laughs> I was I like, I'm going to make it through. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I got to be honest. It was. Um, it was a little disappointing for me from start mm. to finish. I felt like there was just a lot of filler. Mm. Uh, like just as we were about to go uh, to the center of the burn, we get, you know, dragged off to go deal with um, Book's Planet. And the whole scenario there just felt kind of contrived to me just to kind of introduce the villain who was very, very lackluster for me. I was mm. not impressed with her at all Mm. she was evil for evil's sake oh i'm so sorry i killed your dad nephew now i must kill you for mine is an evil laugh (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i just i didn't care for her one bit and not in a you know how like you love to hate q sort of a way but just sort of a not impressed i understand that that's fine well and you know i i have my my thing with the Orion characters and it really solidified for me with this episode because I watched it twice. Okay. Is their look? Um I I have the feeling that the makeup artist is using prosthetics on like their foreheads and noses really? instead of painting their skin green 
because their faces look so plastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't know what they were doing to it, but they looked more fake in this than they did in TOS. Yeah, they look like doll faces. It's really weird. It's and maybe that's creepy. why I didn't care for I the think it, Horizon uh, Osira. Osira, thank you. Yeah, well, I think, I think that does undermine the effectiveness of the characters a little bit. I honestly mm-hmm. feel they look a little cartoonish. They look like doll faces. They don't have a lot of expression. Oh, they're and trying to compete with um, Lower Decks. Looking cartoonish. Cartoonish. Ah, that's funny. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I you know, I, I hate to say something like that because I, I really uh, respect the work that the makeup artist for the series has been oh, doing. Yeah. Um, I hate to say that something like that doesn't work for me, but so far it hasn't worked for me. We'll see. Um, but I don't have the problems narratively that you do. I feel like it was really great. I, f- I am glad that we just got a tidbit of the burn mystery because that's all we need. You know, um, the episode was about the characters and the things that various characters overcame, the transitions that various characters went through, um, and, and sort of ways that, that they, uh, showed courage, rose to the occasion, took, took risks and grew. And we learned more about all these different characters, got to see people functioning in new roles and there was a lot of comedy and there was a lot of pathos and it was, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was great, but. Well, I certainly enjoyed Saru trying to come up <laughs> with his catchphrase. <laughs> oh, and I thought um, of you, I thought of you during that scene because did you uh, notice Tilly's display that she had up? And it I'm says, sure I did at the time, but I can't remember. Well, okay. So she's, they're walking down the hall and she has her Tricom badge display up and in the middle of it, it says pad, P-A-D-D. <laughs> like they're still using that and every time I, nice. I, I yeah i think of you every time i think of pads oh so, yeah i was like ah it's still a pad <laughs> yes yep so but yes um, that was a great scene i loved it and saru trying to get get his catchphrase sorted yeah yeah no that was good i liked so like and a lot of times in TNG, if anyone ever gets to listen to our old audio commentaries, mm-hmm. you'll hear me complain about um, the episode felt like it needed another one or two episodes to kind of stretch out and form everything. Right. To tell the this story. was an episode that I felt was stretched too much. It could have stood the TNG treatment. Um, really? Like, yeah. Like the third or fourth scene where Giorgio is just, insulting everybody and how much she can kill them 10 times over and everything Mm -hmm. i was just like all right enough already we get it she's distressed she's lashing out Mm -hmm. move on (laughs) it's just that there's a there was a lot with this episode like i didn't hate it Mm -hmm. um but there was a lot that just left me kind of all right we get it move on let's go it it really felt like filler to me and Mm. i was not terribly impressed with book's brother Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I just, the acting there just didn't do anything for me. He was just, he was a little stiff. Hmm. And that, the, I felt like the end was really, it was almost too TNG predictable. Like, of course they're going to get together and make up and you combine their powers to form Captain Planet and <laughs> send all the, the microbes away. 
of course that's how it had to end. I don't know. I just the episode just didn't really jibe for me. Okay. All right. Well, um, you know, usually when I ask you what you think of the episode, you're like, it's good. And I'm like, dude, you got to give me some reaction. And now you're giving me some reactions. So yeah, there be we careful go. careful what you wish for. <laughs> I guess so. Um, man, I don't know. I've seen it twice. I loved all of it. I didn't have a problem with anything. Um, well, I'm I, happy for you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I didn't, you know, you like. Blind yeah, sheep. Was, I mean, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, there were there were three ep- there were three scenes with Giorgio, and yes, she was herself in all three scenes. I don't find that to be a problem. Um, the the more the more horrid she is to people, the more she's obviously struggling with stuff and and right. fronting about it. And it that, was just that there shows was, her vulnerability. We didn't get anything from showing us that three times. Like the first time, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it, I understand, but. Three times, I feel like, was beating it with a dead horse. Well, we advanced the Not plot. First, you have the consultation, right, where we set up that they're going to do something with her. You can't have her walk into the med bay ready to go through a procedure. You have to set that up. So we have the consultation between her and Hugh. So we see how Hugh handles her and how he won't let her get to him and won't let her, won't, like, will play her game by not playing her game, will shut her down. And um, and and move forward and 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 not you know let her get under his skin, mm-hmm. so that she will end up agreeing to the procedure. Then we see the procedure itself, which gives us another look at thirty-second century medicine, which we haven't gotten to see a lot of. Gives us more interplay between between uh, Hugh and uh, and Giorgio, and we start to have. And I guess there's I guess that scene is kind of cut into, and then we kind of cut back to it where. Um, you know, she's going through the procedure and we see more of those flashbacks and we see how it affects her. We see her wake up and scream and, and all that and then and then get out. And then she's going to sneak a look at information on her own, which is how she operates. So, of course, she does. And then we move on and then um, we have her breaking into the computer system, being being Giorgio, breaking, breaking the computer system, finding stuff out about herself and then you know, she and Hugh move on to talk about her stuff privately, which we'll get more of later. We'll get more of her story later. I felt all that moved the the plot along and it was all interesting. So yeah. (laughs) Well, that's fair. You are entitled to your wrong opinion. Okay. Well, I just thought it could have all been condensed. It was unnecessarily stretched out. Hmm. In my opinion, uh-huh. I, I liked the interplay between um, Colbert and Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I, I did like the way he handled her really well. Yes. Um, and I could, they what they were trying to do in conveying her distress, they mm-hmm. did well. I picked mm-hmm. up on that. Uh, it was just stretched out for me. Hmm. Okay. I don't, I didn't feel like it was any different than we would have handled it in TNG, just cutting back and forth between the process of the medical procedure. That's, I've seen that so many times with, uh, with Crusher and I I don't know, it just seemed normal, (laughs) but anyway, um, that is what it is. Um, what about Kayla? Oh, flying the ship. Yeah. Through the, yeah, no, that was good. That I enjoyed. I love that. That was very good. And that was one of those thematic moments in the episode, too. One of those moments that, of course, we've been wanting to get back to Kayla. We've been wanting to see more of her character development. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I loved seeing her, you know, earlier in the season, in the series, I'm sorry, in the episode, earlier in the episode, she had rigged her controls at her station. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> so to get back to the, she was getting antsy and needed a, mm-hmm. a safety net. Yes. Yes. Her safety blanket. And, and then, and, and you can see that's because she doesn't trust herself. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of her process in all of this. And so then when she's, when she's on books ship, you know, and she says, um, what does she say? Oh yeah. She says, if you face something, you can beat it. You know, it's, it's, it, it felt like a, a, a more aggressive version of what I usually say, which is anything mentionable is manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the cocky fighter pilot version. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing, which is really interesting because in that conversation that she had with Hugh back in uh, a previous episode where she admitted that she's not okay, you know, they talked about how tough it is for her to admit that because fighter pilots are so macho, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, they, they use that word again to refer to her and to refer to fighter pilots being macho uh, at the end of the episode. But it was that attitude right that actually helped her in this case that actually helped her because when she's saying when you face something you can beat it she's not just talking about the problem that's in front of her outside outside her view screen right she's talking about the problem that's within her and she's talking about the problem that's within rin and how rin is is needing to confront his own fears so i i love that (laughs) the cat I love grudge. Grudge. It was beautiful. But it was great to see Kayla, um, you know, really facing and and really trusting herself and relying on herself, you know. And Mm -hmm. going back to her roots, I think, you know, we've we've talked about this before. um, I think it was in People of Earth about the importance of rootedness, groundedness. That's one of the things, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing the Advent series right now. Uh, just Just did the second one this Sunday. And, you know, I don't come from a liturgical background, but a lot of people in our, in our place, our kind of post-evangelical place, are reaching back to those older traditions for that sense of rootedness, mm-hmm. for that sense of being a part of something that's older than us, being a part of something that's bigger than us. Yeah, there's absolutely something special. Every time I take communion, about thinking about how Christians have been doing this for the last 2000 years. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it connects you to, to history connects Mm -hmm. you. I mean, obviously we're connected to Jesus, but it connects you to Jesus, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's the whole point, right? And it's not only something that Christians have been doing for a long time, but it's instituted by Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's really cool. (laughs) To, to put it very theologically. Um, but like, and, and, and we've talked before too about the difference between like Catholics and Protestants and things. And like one of the ways that I disagree with my Catholic brothers and sisters in Jesus is um, that I don't believe in transubstantiation. For those listening who may not know that, what that is, it is a Catholic doctrine that says that um, the uh, communion, wafer, and wine literally become the body and blood of Jesus. That um, that it looks and feels like bread or wafer. It looks and feels and smells and tastes like wine. Those are its accidents. Its essence is the body and blood of Christ, the literal body and blood of Christ. 
and that that is why it is a sacrament or a salvific act to take the to take the communion. I do not believe in that at all, <laughs> um, and I have my reasons for not believing in that. And it's fine if you do; that's totally fine. Um, the thing I'm getting to is, I went to see John Michael Talbot who I love, one of my favorite musicians, and he was in a Catholic church. I'd seen him a few times, and, and this was the first time I'd seen him in a Catholic church. And he was talking about transubstantiation, and he was talking about how much that means to him. And he says, he says, I think about that I'm encountering the real presence of Jesus. And his words were, and I'm just jello. <laughs> um, he talked about how much, how much it meant to him to encounter Christ in communion. And, and it occurred to me that, like, it doesn't matter that John and I have completely different understandings of what's happening in communion. Mm-hmm. The essence, again, it, it kind of goes back to that concept of accidents and essence. Like, the essence that we are both talking about is the same thing, which is the communion is something that is supposed to bring us into an, an encounter with Jesus, exactly like you're talking about. And that's what... Any liturgical practice, anything like that that is that is old and and storied, you know, and and and, and ingrained in in tradition that we can connect with can help us connect with our past, can help us connect with Christ, can help us connect with the Spirit, um, connect with our own histories, our own cultures, even outside of just Christian practice. But you know, whatever other uh, practices we we might have, here we are at Christmas time mm-hmm. as we're recording this. Um, and there are a lot of family traditions and things that may not necessarily be connected to theology or anything like that, that mm-hmm. are also important and help us be grounded in who we are and where we come from. So, okay. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a long, that's a long walk, but it all comes back to the fact that Kayla, she says, this is how I learned to fly, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's something powerful about that coming back to where we come from that helps us find ourselves when we're lost. So remember that. If you're out there and you're trying to find yourself, um, you may find yourself uh, someplace where you used to find yourself. Sometimes we encounter those. Sometimes we encounter those things, and they say we say, "Oh, it doesn't fit anymore." And then if we analyze that experience and ask ourselves why it doesn't fit, the answer to that question is sometimes a part of the answer to where we are and who we are and where we belong. So, there you go. Thanks, Kayla. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So another thing that I liked about this episode was the story between Book and his brother. (sighs) Sorry, I can't remember the brother's name just now. I should have looked it up before we started recording. I didn't. There you go. Um, Because we're off the cuff. Because we're we're totally scripted here. Um, But uh, I, I loved... It was one of those Star Trek moments when we encounter and engage with something mystical. Right? Something that's kind of, um, that's, a, that's a, that's almost, a, that's almost a, a prayer like thing, an incantation, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying these words. There's a, uh, even in the, in the first episode of the season, you know, we see book use his empathic abilities and, and, um, Michael asks him, were you praying? And he's like, eh, sort of, you know, <laughs> and, um, and we, there's a lot of sort of praying so far in this season. Um, right. With uh, with I and and all of that, um, one eye. We're not pirates, which I loved that that came up in this episode again. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, although anyway, um, but anyway, we have this kind of mystical moment. I think of uh, the traveler in Next Generation, 
or um, Chakotay with his Akuchimura um, in in Voyager. Um, there are or or, or um, Star Trek Three with the uh, the ritual on Vulcan to restore Spock's soul to his body. There are all these things that people do in Star Trek that connect with something that we can't necessarily scientifically explain Mm -hmm. or maybe we can but we also can't escape that there's there's something more to it right there's a a different kind of consciousness there's a different kind of space that we have to go into in order to make this thing happen and i loved seeing the enterprise as a part of that it reminded me of actually uh um encounter at farpoint when this whole, the, the, the great thing about that, that as a premiere episode for a new Star Trek series is they spend this whole episode and they have all these opportunities to use violence and they don't. And then at the end of the episode, they use this really powerful ship of theirs to just beam down energy to give this life form the energy it needs to escape its prison, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it reminded me very much of that when that beam was coming down from Discovery to amplify the signal, you know, to, to move the sea locusts back uh, mm-hmm. to, the, to the sea. I thought that was really beautiful. And, it, and especially because we're, we're in the Advent season again, and one of the things that's on my mind is peace. And it just felt like this peaceful, this peaceful rain, this like this, this, um, what's the word like this flow of peace right coming down to the planet mm-hmm. and and spreading peace through the planet through this devotional act through this meditative act and uh, it was it was it was spiritual and it was beautiful the and, holy spirit will descend upon you yeah right right the, the holy spirit descending on the day of pentecost yeah it's very much something like that that's that's good it's a good visual kind of feeling of something like that i mean yes there's sciencey stuff going on we know that yeah, yeah. you know we're not we're not uh, but uh, you know this is what i say all the time it doesn't matter if something is natural it doesn't matter if something is scientific it doesn't matter if we can say, oh, yeah, the atoms are doing this and the molecules are doing that or this chemical is reacting with that chemical or, you know, dopamine is being released in your brain or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. The, the, the fact is that the meaning can still be there and it's no less sacred because this whole earth and this whole universe and everything that we have the ability to do to make technology, to make science happen, you know, to explore and to understand and manipulate the world around us. That's all a gift from God. That all comes from God. There is nothing in this universe that does not belong to God, that does not come from God, that is not part of God's design. Um, you know, Abraham Kuyper said that there's not a square inch of all creation over which Christ does not cry, mine. And, and that's very important to me, the sacredness of the everyday and the ordinary and those things that we could write off as just atoms, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. <laughs> a house is just atoms. Music is just vibration. You know, you and I are just cells. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make us less than what we are. That means we are more than the sum of our parts. You know, I think as you say that, it kind of it reminds me of Star Trek V, and I think it kind of hits on why 
that film is one of my favorites because it is they're trying I don't know I don't want to say they're trying to quantify the unquantifiable Mm -hmm. but it's that it's a very Star Trek mix of science and the unexplainable and I I can't put my finger on it but I think that's a, a big part of why I like Star Trek 5 so much and you know I'm liking it more <laughs> <laughs> the more we talk about it uh-huh. and the more I meditate on just how much I despise Into Darkness um, but <laughs> <laughs> it helps to have a couple below it that it uh, does it does and um uh insurrection insurrection is not my favorite but you know what i like insurrection better than into darkness i think into darkness is at the bottom for me i really do because insurrection at least feels like an episode of tng and that's not bad even if it's a recycled episode of tng (laughs) it still feels more like star trek than into darkness right um but uh but yeah uh star trek five yeah right i think there's something Again, it's this ineffable thing, and it keeps happening in Star Trek. It happens, you know, in, in our human experience. But there's this ineffable thing that happens when Star Trek goes searching for God, goes searching for the divine. It happens over and over and over. We can't escape it. People who say that Star Trek is all science aren't paying attention. And I really believe, <laughs> I can't escape this belief. I would love to reason it away. But I really believe it's because of the mindset of Gene Roddenberry in creating Star Trek. I think somehow that sensibility that he had of the divine that animates the universe, even though his vision of the divine was different from yours and mine, probably, Mm -hmm. and might be different from other people's. um, I think that undergirded his vision came through in his work and in the work of his uh, his fellows whether he wanted it to or not and i think that's just in star trek's dna and when star mm-hmm. trek is really being star trek it is reaching for something transcendent and i think i think this episode does that in more than one place um, but certainly there so i, I don't know that's it, one of those things is like i can't explain that mm-hmm. but there it is you know, I think it's there. I think it's endemic to the whole project. Well, so. I mean, Star Trek has already answered that question, though, right? Isn't uh, isn't the universe on the back of a, a hamster <laughs> mole or something? I can't remember now. The universe is balanced on the back of a giant koala. Why is he smiling? What does he know? <laughs> oh, man. And my uh, question is, how do you know it's a he? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still one of my favorite lines in Star Trek. I, I love that. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, what else do we have in this episode that we need to, that we should talk about? Oh, another one of those best, one, another one of those best lines that that is up there with the koala line. Thank you for mentioning the koala line because it brought this mm. to my mind. Mm-hmm. His name is Linus, and you can peel off a piece of his face if you want. To. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that was actually scripted. <laughs> and the that kids was, was all like, cool. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. <laughs> that, that was brilliant. Uh, and it's funny because I think the kid knew the line was coming because he reaches up and tries to take something off of Sinequa's face, but. 
It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. I, that was so funny. It was it was set up with such a throwaway gag, you know, at the beginning of mm-hmm. the thing about uh, Linus, you know, staying out of the mess hall as long as he's shedding. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which that is, by the way, a great scene between Saru and Tilly. Yes. That was, oh, that was gorgeous. And it was, oh hmm? gosh, was this the episode? Um, so in the ready room for like the the second episode, mm-hmm. she had mentioned something about where she starts to become later in the season, she starts to become defensive of Saru. Protective. Protective. Yes. Yeah. And I think yes. this was one. Oh yeah. When the, when, uh, rain, when Rin comes in, Rin walks in and she's like, uh, speak to him with the respect he deserves. Thank you right. very much. Right. Yeah, that was great. Okay, that's great on a couple levels because Rin comes in and he's like, which one of you is the captain? And he's like, uh, try that again. Yeah. <laughs> and and with the respect, you know, that the, that is due the, the the rank. And Rin asks again, but the funny thing about that is um, the, the actor playing Rin is Mary Wiseman's husband. So she... Really? Really. <laughs> so she... Her first act of like, um, excuse me, <laughs> uh-huh. you will respect the captain, you know, like putting somebody in their place. It's her husband. <laughs> nice. I thought that was brilliant. That's hilarious. That's <laughs> awesome. That. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, Mary Wiseman was just pitch perfect in this episode. Oh, I, yeah. I love oh, the yeah. way she played that scene um, with Saru. It was gorgeous. So um, I do want to mention one other thing because you know that one of my favorite people in this cast now is Blue Del Barrio. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love them. I it, it was probably that interview that I read before I had ever seen them, you know, in a single scene. <laughs> yeah, in the series, <laughs> that interview I just found completely charming, and I was like, "This is exactly how I would be if I was cast in Star Trek, especially as a teenager." Can and- you link that article? Can you put it down in the doobly doo? Uh, yeah, I did on the on the episode when we uh, on the third episode of the podcast. I, okay. I, I linked right. that article, but I can link it again. Um, it was it was an interview with Glad, I think, and um, and and they were just charming as anything, and I just loved it. I think it was on Star Trek dot com. I think linked to it, and so I was like, oh, new cast mm-hmm. member, and so I was checking that out. Um, but anyway, I so I have a very warm, happy place in my heart for for Blue Del Barrio and for and therefore for the character of Adira, mm-hmm. um, which uh, makes me feel bad for Ian Alexander. And and if you watch, <laughs> and if you watch the the Ready Room episode, you can see I think you can see that that Blue gets a little bit more love than Ian from from Will as well. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I I do want to say something about that scene, um, the scene, okay, um, the scene when uh, when Adira says they're fast mm-hmm. and tells Stamets, no, I I really would prefer if you referred to me as they from now on and not she. I want to I want to dial in on that for just a second because. I would really encourage anybody who doesn't understand that experience to view that scene and view it again and view it again if you need to. Because Blue Del Barrio is non-binary. And one of the reasons their character was referred to as she up to that point was that Blue Del Barrio was in the process of coming out as non-binary. And when they're playing that scene, that's... 
a thing that they were actually doing in their real life at that time. The emotional process, the, 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 the fear, the nervousness, the getting up the courage, all that that you see from the moment, from the moment Stamets refers to them as she until they wait for, for Saru and Tilly to leave the room and then go to their station and kind of gulp it down and say, they're fast. I think that might show just what a big deal it is for someone to ask to be referred to a certain way. Mm-hmm. Just what a big deal it is for someone to come out in some sense for the first time. And how much it means to them to be able to do that. I've, I've, I've just, I've seen it over and over. And, and I know in that scene that you're seeing Blue's actual experience reflected in their performance. And, and Paul's response is so important because he says, okay. And that's it. And that's all that has to be said about it. And then Adira says, and I've never told anybody but Gray. And I want you to imagine how that scene would have gone for that character if Stamets had objected. If Stamets had wrinkled his nose and said, well, that's weird. If Stamets had done something to try to tell Adira about their own body, about their own identity, about their own experience, about which he knows relatively little. And then to find out this was an enormous act of courage. This was an enormous act of trust on the part of Adira to say this to him. Mm-hmm. And it to, was a moment of vulnerability for her. And that's absolutely important. It's, 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 it's two things at the same time. It's vulnerability and strength at the same time, which we've talked about for the past couple of episodes. It's a very vulnerable moment. It's a scary moment, but it takes. I guess, a- you know, it kind of it makes me think of Georgiou actually, and the juxtaposition there. They're both feeling vulnerable. Yes. But um, Adira opens up and trusts and finds courage. Yes. To do that, whereas uh, Georgiou, I think, uh, retreats to her fear and lashes out and tries yes. to push away. And so between the two of them, that's an excellent point, because between the two of them, Giorgio appears weaker mm-hmm. than Adira, yeah. the little teenage human, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it's, it's, it is an act of assertiveness that is difficult to muster, and it's an act of a vulnerability at the same time. And... Folks, I just need to tell you, you don't know, you, you might know what that's like. You might be able, if you hear it in those terms, you might be able to relate it to some experience in your life where you've had to say something or do something. I think of it like being a Star Trek fan, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? I there mean, comes <laughs> a point in every nerd's relationship where they have to break it to their significant <laughs> other that they like Star Trek. Right, exactly. I go back to that, that old SNL sketch from like 1986 where Kirk is at the, where, where Bill Shatner is playing himself, a comic version of himself mm-hmm. at a Star Trek convention, you know, and they're all these nerds in their, in their Star Trek pajamas, you know, and he's like, <laughs> and he says, get a life, 
you know, Bill Shatner wrote a book called get a life, you know, um, Mm -hmm. he's like, get a life, you know, get out of your mother's basements and all that kind of stuff that very much reflects. I mean, you literally like the first day you show up at school wearing a Star Trek shirt or in your Starfleet uniform on Halloween or whatever is -hmm. the first day you risk getting beat up. I mean, it's not necessarily the case now, but it sure has been. Mm -hmm. So nerds know something about that. (laughs) Now, let's be clear. We're not trying to equate liking Star Trek with something as deep and personal as gender identity. No, not at all. Although I think for many of us, liking Star Trek is deep and personal. But that act of doing something public that reflects something that you've kept private is something that anybody can relate to. Yeah. Whether whether it goes as deep as part of your identity or not, right? Mm -hmm. And different things can be that for different people. Um, So neither would, I wouldn't want to equate them, but neither would I want to say that being a Star Trek fan couldn't be that important to you because it certainly could. Um, But so the point of that, all that is just to say, Paul reacts in exactly the right way. And just think about how that scene would have unfolded if he had reacted any differently how much he would have hurt Adira Mm -hmm. and how ruined that relationship would be. And so keep in mind that even if it makes you uncomfortable, whether it's somebody's gender or somebody's name or somebody's um, religion or whatever it is, just showing simple, basic respect I think that's the Christian thing to do. I think that's loving your neighbor. And um, I think it's the better choice. I think it's the higher road. And um, I think it's respectful of other people's feelings and of other people's processes and of other people's humanity. And we respect other people's humanity. Why, class? Because humanity is the imago Dei. It is the image of God. And when we respect one another, we respect that we all reflect God in our humanity and we were, we were respecting, we were honoring the image of God and that other human, however they come to us. So don't let your fear and your discomfort get in the way of showing respect to others because the harm you can do is incredible and immense. But the other side of that is the good you can do is great because just saying, okay, and respecting somebody's, uh, respecting somebody's uh, request can mean a huge amount to them. It means a huge amount to them. And, and yeah, it's an act of love to do that. So um, that was on my mind uh, because Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander were, were Will Wheaton's guests on this. Uh, I keep wanting to say issue when I mean episode and episode when I mean <laughs> issue. On this edition of The Ready Room, I'll just go with a third way there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Blue and Ian were guests on there and it was a gorgeous episode for me because he folks, if you're not watching the ready room, you need to be watching it. Will Wheaton is just like my hero right now. Um, I cannot tell you how cool it is to see him, um, for his job, (laughs) uh, nerding out over his fellow and, 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 and being family with his Star Trek family. Um, mm-hmm. it just means the world to me to see him. He's roughly my age, roughly our age, you know? Yeah. And, and when we were kids, we were meant to identify with him in Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, 
he was Absolutely. a kid on screen and he was meant to, he was meant to draw us in. Some of us, he did some of us, he didn't, but like, yeah, we all wanted to be that kid who got to be on the, on the bridge of the enterprise. You know, I remember the cereal box that offered the, that has the contest for a walk on role on next generation. And I wanted to do that so badly. <laughs> um, and now to see Will and to recognize him as a peer, you know, to see myself in him, like, oh, hey, you grew a beard too. What's up? You know, it's... maybe, maybe, maybe we'll fake people out and they'll realize we're, we're, uh, they won't realize we're still kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like to, to see that and it's just, I don't know. It means so much to me. It's, it's so great. And I think he's such an ambassador for Star Trek. And this one was particularly great for me because he's talking to these people who are, he says, part of a very small club of like four people who were teenagers on Star Trek, like regular, I guess, regular cast members, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and to see that connection with him, you know, was, was so great and was so important. And I, I, I was talking with a friend and I was like, I loved, I, I really enjoyed the Star Trek episode, but what I loved was the ready room. Like the ready room was huge. I just loved it Um, because there's something about Will, like when he had Jonathan on and, you know, just the way he connects with his guests and just how proudly he nerds. Um, Oh man, I missed that episode with, uh, with Will Riker. Oh, Jonathan Frakes. uh, Yeah. Jonathan Frakes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I need to go back and watch watch that one. to watch it. It's so good. It's just great to see the connection between them. It's wonderful. And oh, Jonathan directed this episode. As well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just yeah, I remember and, seeing that. Yeah. Every time I see Jonathan's name in the opening credits, I'm like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I, I highly recommend people do that because I just feel like Will Wheaton is out there embodying what it means to be a nerd in the best possible sense. Um, <laughs> and and you see him really connecting with his roots. Um, going uh, back, kind of going home in a lot of senses, um, by connecting, reconnecting with Star Trek and his joy through discovery, um, kind of reigniting if it needed to be reignited, his love of Star Trek. And mm-hmm. that transitions us. <laughs> you see what I his did there? Rediscovery his of, rediscovery. Yeah. I, I uh, do see uh, that. Yeah. That's, that's so, clever. Thank you very much. I, I, it's I almost like we're not scripted. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, they're going to be so confused. They're going to have no idea whether we're really scripted or not now. I think it's pretty clear we're not for the most part, but, um, but yeah, so that, (laughs) that brings us, I think to our theme for today, which is rediscovered country, the rediscovered country, as opposed to the undiscovered country. Right. So the rediscovered country, um, what struck us as we went through this episode was the way different characters in this in this discovery episode were <laughs> discovery um, rediscovering their roots, connecting back with where they come from, and what makes them who they are, and that extends to um, it started with Kayla, with Kayla Detmer, and her return to how she learned to fly. But then it also goes to Book and his return to his home planet, his return to his brother, and um, and that connectedness and that rootedness, um, that orientation. We talk so much in this series about the disorientation and the disconnection and then what it, how we reconnect 
and how we root ourselves. And we had that conversation earlier about communion and so many of the liturgical things that we use to ground ourselves um, as Christians in our, in, in our faith. And, um, and so we thought we'd talk a little bit about some other places in Star Trek, some other characters, some other places who have gone back to their roots, gone back to where they came from, tried to re-engage sort of their home culture, if you will, um, and often in, in similar ways to the way Book does, in a ceremonial sense and in a, um, a ritualistic sense, and how that theme has carried on throughout Star Trek. So the first place I think of that, and I'm going to throw you a curveball, is a mock time when Spock has to return to Vulcan. And of course, there's the whole weird mating ritual thing and all that stuff. But it was the first time we got to see Vulcan and it established the Vulcan people as a ritualistic, and I'll just go ahead and say religious people. Um, whether they're theists or not, in the novels they are, um, <laughs> uh, whether they are theists or not is not as important as it is that even in their logic, I think it's, they find it logical to have a spirituality, to have a religion, to have ritual. And it's through that that Spock connects with his Vulcan heritage. And, um, and that, that is, I think, the first instance of this sort of thing. But we see it a lot. And Tim, one of the things that you had mentioned was Picard. Yes. After he's had the, um, this in incredibly traumatic experience of, of being assimilated, mm -hmm. and uh, he needs to rediscover who he is, Mm -hmm. He goes back to his place of origin, right? The, uh, the, the, the vineyards of France. Right, right. And he goes back again to his brother. <laughs> yes. Uh, echoes of, of uh, this week's Discovery episode. Um, and, and that's so important for him, too. And again, I mean, literally talking about being grounded, literally, with <laughs> him and Robert fighting in the mud, right? Mm -hmm. Right getting into like knocking over the 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 grapevines uh to have to have out their their conflict and to get to the root of their issues in that way um there's something about that there's something about returning to where we come from and confronting with that and i think a lot of us too are are going to be experiencing that particular kind of returning to where we come from in the coming weeks or months so particularly at this time, uh, as we're recording this in December, you know, a lot of us are going to be having that return to where we come from by going and seeing our families who maybe we haven't seen in a while. Now, we may we might not be because of pandemic issues, mm -hmm. and that can be very disorienting. And um, my hope, and this is one of the reasons I do the the Advent podcasts, and I hope you're listening to them every Sunday during Advent. And if you're not, you can catch up. They're short. They max out at like 15 minutes. Um, but my hope in doing that is to help us find a place to feel grounded and connected. And sometimes we do that with connecting through connecting with family. And sometimes that connection can be really hard. Picard and Robert um, are at odds. And it's difficult for them to fight and work through their stuff. But they do work through their stuff. And we can work through our stuff. I think that's a hopeful image of family conflict. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because I think a lot of people would say, oh, they're in a stressful place. You know, don't get them around their family and get them worked up, you know, because they need to avoid stress. But going mm -hmm. through that conflict and saying hard things to one another 
helped him confront the hard things that he was avoiding at that time. It's almost as if home is like a sanctuary where you can say what you need to without quite as much fear of reprisal. It should be. Right. It often is not. That's fair. That's fair. And and there again, with the discussion we had with Adira earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. um, it often is not. But in 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 their case, uh, discovery has become their sanctuary. Uh-huh. Yeah, their sanctuary. Very good, boy. We're finding we're we're still unpacking the discovery <laughs> episode. We're supposed to be in the other part of the episode. Right? This is good. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. So where do we find sanctuary? Boy, that's a tr- and you know. Where does sanctuary find us? Mm-hmm. Because I keep, as you keep talking about, um, as we've been talking about, you know, Worf and his culture and Picard going back and Book going back, I keep coming back to Belana Torres. Tell me about this, please. In Voyager. Now, Voyager itself is just a giant series on going home, True. right? And their whole, their whole shtick is about going home and being true to who they are and finding out who that is and, you know, taking the, the Maquis and the Federation and finding the common ground and that they're realizing they're all part of the same family as they try and get home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Balana in particular, she pushes back against her heritage so much. But I'm thinking of that. And I don't have quite the um, episode recall that you do these days. But uh, I'm thinking of the episode where she has to, like, She's going down onto the ship of the damned to mm-hmm. fight for her mother, and she's she's forced to embrace all of this Klingon heritage, right? It's yeah. a like like for so many people, it's it's something that they have rebelled against, pushed away against, and and it's something that she wants no part of. And uh, but she finds out, she learns what it means to her it mm-hmm. where it it defines where she came from and it's an integral part of her and that she can't just pretend it never happened mm-hmm. right uh, barge of the dead is the name of the episode and the name of the ship um but yes and and that's that's a great episode and and it's a it's a it's it's absolutely true Belana is is on a different kind of journey than wharf is because Worf is constantly trying to embrace his Klingon heritage. It's almost like the, the duality between, between Spock and Data. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf is trying to, like, be a really strict Klingon. And he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a, a traditionalist, right? And Balana mm-hmm. is trying to rebel against tradition. And Worf finds, and I think just like Spock and Data also find balance within themselves, I think Worf finds balance by going through crises of faith, and questioning mm-hmm. some of those traditions and growing, uh, growing out of them, but also growing, having, letting them grow with him, which many of us uh, I can, can relate to in our, in our processes of, of, of our faith. But Balana, I think, has done herself, as you, as you so well said, I think she's done herself a disservice of trying to truncate her identity by cutting herself off from where she comes from. And this, again, is why it's so important for us to conduct ourselves with kindness and respect and gentleness toward other people. Uh, Paul talks about this, actually, in Scripture. Um, he says uh, to, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, 
to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And that may seem um, counterintuitive in our present context where I think we're so focused on power and holding mm. power and gaining power. Mm. I think that's that's what that's why so many of my comments can sound so anti-religious <laughs> yeah because because religion as we know it at least in our culture in our country in our time has become so focused on that and that's the very opposite of what jesus calls us to that's the very opposite of what paul uh, calls us to there in, in in that passage and and one of the big reasons is that's so important is it look at the damage that has been done to Bellana because of how rejected she felt by her mm-hmm. culture. You know, um, Worf is different. I mean, he he ex- he sort of sacrificially accepted rejection later on, right? right. But Bellana kind of grew up with it. And look at the damage that has done to her and how she is so broken in her relationship to her own heritage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what a what a great gift that that episode, that Bards of the Dead episode is for her. What a great experience that is for her to go through. Again, a very hard thing and a struggle. But reconnecting with who she is by finding value in the places that rejected her. That's a really, really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. I've had friends who have been very damaged by churches, who've been very hurt by church leadership who have been in church leadership, who have been in churches where, where church leadership has ostracized them and has hurt them and has rejected them. And it, it, it's difficult for them to walk into a church building. It's difficult for them sometimes to open up a Bible. Mm-hmm. Man, we really have to think about whether we want people to hurt when they think about Jesus or whether they want, whether we want people to feel good and feel, have peace when they think about Jesus. Um, so I think, I think Bolana is a really, yeah, fascinating example of, yeah, returning to her roots in this way. And, and can we help one another uh, encounter our roots in a, in a life giving way, go back through, sift through the things that damaged us, like Bono says, looking for the baby Jesus under the trash. I think a lot of times we're doing that at Christmas time. Um, that we, where we can find something that would inform us and would heal us um, in our relationship to God, in our relationship to our families and our cultures. Um, that's a hard thing to do. And Blana is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. What else do we have? Well, uh, you know, I was thinking kind of to take it back to um, Picard going back to the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's almost too much that you can do, though, right? Because Picard, like, he goes home and he tries to stay home. Yeah. And home tells him where he rediscovers himself. He he realizes no, it is home, but he belongs on the Enterprise, you know? Yeah. Kind of like we were talking um, uh, a few episodes ago about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Uh, he can fit in mm. at home just fine, right? 
Right. But he belongs on the Enterprise. Yep. Well, and Book says something very similar in this episode of Discovery, where he says his planet is still home. Mm-hmm. But the Discovery and the Federation are doing work to try to protect planets like his, and he wants right. to be a part of that, you know? Um, very true. Very true. And, you know, some of us might find that we end up returning to places where we had left before. Or we might find that we're rescuing something from those places or rescuing something of ourselves by confronting those things. You know, um, like Kayla said, if you can face it, you can beat it. Anything <laughs> is mentionable is manageable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, it's so easy to isolate ourselves, to cut off, to cut off relationship with family. Uh, and sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes it's deeply unhealthy and abusive and you have to get away. And sure. I, I'm, you know, yes, that's, that's fine. But sometimes we're just letting hurt fester. We're leaving things unresolved because it's just hard to work through. Mm-hmm. And if we'll do that hard work, um, I think that that can be, that can be a beautiful thing. That can be a healing thing for us. We can find, that sanctuary, that sacred space, again, um, sometimes we can't find it until we reconcile with those parts of ourselves that we have cut ourselves off from or that have cut or, or that we felt cut off by, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really appreciate the work that a lot of churches are doing to help people sort of restore their relationship with God. To rediscover it, if you will. To rediscover. <laughs> exactly. I think there are a lot of churches out there that are really focused on that, that are churches for the spiritual refugees, if mm-hmm. you will. There are churches for um, the outcasts, that are churches for um, churches for people who don't like church. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was at a convention a couple of years ago, and a fellow was interested in buying the Spockology book, and I mentioned the Gospel According to Star Trek book, and he goes, "Oh, I don't think I don't think you want to sell me that book." He said, "I live in some I don't remember some southern state or whatever." He's like, "I'm surrounded by all this, you know, uh, religious stuff, you know, and these people." And he says, "So I hear the word gospel, and I just go bleh." <laughs> and I said, "Well, I wrote this book for people who, when they hear the word gospel, go bleh." And he said, "So how much if I buy both?" <laughs> 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 and um, and I, I hope that some of the work that we're doing here can can be that um, because it is important. It is important to um, to to find goodness, truth and beauty anywhere we can find it, because mm-hmm. all goodness is God's goodness. All truth is God's truth and all beauty is God's beauty. And those things will lead us home. Those things will help us rediscover ourselves, our roots, our, mm-hmm. our history and our future. Even if it's not where we think it is, yes. I keep, as you keep ta- as you're talking about all this, I keep wanting to to add that you know sometimes home isn't where we think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't I can't think of a way to tie that into Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> home isn't where we think it is. Let me think for a second here. Well, I think that that really comes down to. The Star Trek ethic of and the Star Trek theme of chosen family. I think that's one thing that we see echoed in every Star Trek series. People finding home really in one another. 
uh, people finding home in places where they they might not have thought they would have a place or belong. I think of Ro Laren in TNG, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and she eventually did not stay, but she was able to find herself through that process. And we kind of expected that she would stay on the Enterprise, but mm-hmm. she didn't. She went back to the fight um, as opposed to the character she was supposed to become, which is Kira Norris in right. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> right. And yeah. Norris does find her home with Cisco and 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 with the, the, the Federation, with, with the Starfleet. Even though she never joins Starfleet, even though um, she's uh, an alien um, and, and has a very different philosophy a lot of times from Ben and from others who are around her, mm-hmm. um, she becomes family with them and she finds her home. How in the world is it that all of these people from all these different alien cultures and these people from the Federation find their home in an abandoned Cardassian space station. What is that? How does that happen? You know, you know, it makes me think of the expression home is where the heart is. Mm-hmm. The, the intention is your home is where your heart is. But I think that sometimes you can make your home where your heart is and like with deep space nine their hearts were there and mm-hmm. so that became their home right it's not that you necessarily have to go to your actual like physical home or whatever to find your right. heart right it's that wherever your heart is that's your home it reminds me of the words of jesus wherever your heart is wherever your treasure is there is your heart right mm. Mm-hmm. That 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 you value above all things, that that when you wake up, when somebody shakes you in the middle of the night and says, what makes you happy? You know, whatever mm-hmm. comes out of your mouth, <laughs> that's where your heart is. And um, how are our hearts oriented? And are they oriented in places where they should be? And can we reorient them? Yes, we can. Um, but also sometimes um, we 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 can get some outside voices that will tell us that where our hearts will take us enterprise. We're just going all over the franchise today. (laughs) (laughs) That where our hearts will take us is not where we should go, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and make us question ourselves. But really ultimately we find, no, this is what makes me happy. No, this is my joy. This is my calling. This is my purpose. You know, I came back to star Trek after walking away from it. And, uh, I've tried to like, um, to 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 find you know like does this make sense you know that my calling is to like talk about star trek and jesus i mean yeah that's what i want to do but like that's my calling like yeah yeah it is i mean it's not my whole calling but it's definitely a big part of it Mm -hmm. and um and so learning to figure that out i mean that takes discernment and that's um that's something that we have to trust god to to give us and help us with but Mm -hmm. um, we can cultivate that and um yeah, where your treasure is, there's your heart, and, you know, home is where the heart is, all that. Yeah, it's absolutely right. So home is a home is a really, it can be a difficult thing to find, but we can find it. Um, we can rediscover that country <laughs> that we might have <laughs> left. Um, a rediscover, even if we're just rediscovering a sense of belonging in a whole new place, you know, like when I was away from churches for years and I finally walked into the door of a place that was 
dark and candlelit and where people were welcoming and warm and and there was beautiful music playing and I just said, oh, I'm home. Like This is a kind of space where I belong. Mm-hmm. This is what speaks to me. I've been to all kinds of different places, done all kinds of different things, and I keep coming back to this. This is home. This is where I belong. Um, I, it was a place I'd never been before. Never walked in the door. But when I did walk in the door, I rediscovered a part of myself. And that's a beautiful thing. And it can happen where you least expect it. So, yeah. Uh, keep searching and search in hope. It can get it can get really discouraging. It can get really discouraging to feel like you haven't found your place. And if you haven't found your people, keep reaching out. Um, relationship is risk. Love is risk. Yeah, uh, you're going to find hurt when you open yourself to other people. That's going to happen. Even when you find the right people, you're still going to find ways to hurt each other. That's vulnerability. But vulnerability is strength. And when we're weak, then we're made strong. You will find it. You will find your locus. Uh, even if you've been a locutus. <laughs> <laughs> Playing fast and loose with the Latin there. <laughs> but anyway. Um, how's that? That's good. Does that, does that think, cover it? Yeah, I think that that's all that can possibly ever be said on the topic. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've covered it. We're done. We, we've that's covered it. it. No, no one else, else ever can. Nobody else can do it. Add to that conversation. Yep. <laughs> so uh, today's question is yes. uh, an interesting one. One of our listeners wants to know, does, or maybe they want to know our opinion. Yeah. Uh, does TOS, uh, the original series, does TOS fall short when it comes to peacemaking? Um, I'm not sure what episode of, of, our podcast or of discovery this was in relation to, but talking more about TOS. Well, I know I had mentioned, um, I, we talked about peacemaking. I think last episode I mentioned like the perils of peacemaking, that documentary on this, uh, Star Trek six DVD, um, okay. which I tried to find online and link for everybody and I couldn't do it. Um, but, uh, I couldn't find it, but anyway, um, yeah. Okay. Does the original series fall short? I see my question, my question back to them would be, why are you asking this question? Right. (laughs) Well, and I think it's because Kirk has such a reputation Mm -hmm. for uh, firing from the hip, you know, uh, shoot first, ask questions later sort of diplomacy. He is often contrasted with Picard, who's seen as the master of diplomacy, right? Right, right. Um, But, But how much of that is actual action and how much of that is temperament? Right. I don't really Because know. I like just rewatching Let That Be Your Last Battlefield the other day when we were uh, mm-hmm. discussing getting ready for one of our, our previous episodes. He seems to be making a, a valid attempt at peacemaking, right? It's his his instinct isn't to shoot first and ask questions later. It's to try and bring these two people together to to help them understand their differences and, and what their antagonism is going to cause. And he has he has a forceful sort of blusterous way of doing that. Right. I, I feel like um, 
there's kind of an impatience that Picard has when people from another time are on the ship and they're confused by the future stuff, mm-hmm. um, which annoys me because I'm like, dude, <laughs> have a little compassion. Um, but Kirk gets annoyed really quickly and, and, and to, to a high degree with people who don't think like he does. And like, it's like, it's kind of like he's angry with you for not being at peace with one another. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And so, so, you know, he's, he's got a forceful way. I always go back to cat's paw. Um, when, uh, when the, the fellas like diamonds, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, a fortune for each of you, if you leave this place, you know, and, and, um, you know, he says, these mean nothing to us. We can manufacture a ton of them on our ship. And the guy says, valueless. Why I, uh, I read. And then Kirk just interrupts him and says, whatever you read, you read it wrong. You know, (laughs) it's like. It's not, it's not the Picard way is like, well, yes, centuries ago. And then, you know, we might have said that, but then, but then Kirk is just like, yeah, not only, not only are you wrong, but it's because of how you read it. You couldn't possibly have gotten any information that's outdated or anything like that. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't believe the, give you the benefit of the doubt. So he has that impatience. And I think I've probably said that on a previous episode before. It's one of my favorite Kirk anecdotes, but anyway, um, he has that reputation, but I don't know how much he really falls short in terms of actually getting people to make peace or making peace with people. I don't see, I think of the Corbomite maneuver, um, which by the way, was the first episode of Star Trek. I showed my son. If you're looking for an introductory episode to Star Trek, the original series, I recommend the Corbomite maneuver. I think it's the most classic thing you can possibly. That's the one where he's like, we have this Corbomite on board that will destroy everything. Right. Yeah. With Baylock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is great. Um, but uh, the point is, <laughs> the point is, in that episode, I mean, he's working very hard to to not attack and to not be. I mean, they do shoot, they do fire at the at the ship and stuff, but they they're mm. he's very very restrained, and I think we see that again and again and again with Kirk, that he does have that that forcefulness and that bluster and that desire to kind of want to punch you in the face mm-hmm. but he also has the self-discipline to pull back from it and so i think if we're assuming that we're sort of orbiting kirk in this in this question as right. to why next why original series falls short in peacemaking um that could be it. of course the other thing is it could fall short in terms of showing the process of peacemaking because we always just sort of like give people a resolution or give people the tools and then fly off, you know, and we don't see mm-hmm. how things progress on that planet the way we do on like deep space nine or discovery or things like that. Right. Um, so you could say it falls short in that regard. Sure. By not from, really from the, the show itself. Right. In short, terms right, of the yeah. storytelling, like we just don't get to see that process played mm-hmm. out and it feels like, you know, you can wrap it up with one impassioned Kirk speech and everything <laughs> right. will be okay, right? And, of course, Star Trek Two tells us, no, that's not the case. You know, Kirk can come up with his Kirk solution and then it can backfire on him 15 years later and nearly kill everybody. Um, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but within the series itself, that could... Uh, but that's a limitation of the type of storytelling that we're dealing with and the strict rules of the series at that time where we just couldn't continue stories on to different episodes. 
Um, except in the case of the Menagerie, where we're just desperate to use old footage to make episodes right. because we're out of money. Um, but uh, anyway, all that to say, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would really be interested in sort of going through some of those some of those other peacemaking episodes. Um, and, and a lot of times you find, you know, like you have a private little war and you have um, a lot of times you find that they that they're encountering these. Um, these planets that really are kind of at war with themselves, you know, one part mm. of their, one part of their culture is oppressing another part of their culture. I mean, that's even true in the one you mentioned, let, let there be a last battlefield, um, or even a piece of the action, right? Uh, a piece of the action is about gang war, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and Kirk and Spock sort of, uh, turning gangland culture on its ear in order to, uh, to, to achieve their, their, um, their goals. Right. And, um, and to bring, to bring greater peace and all that. So, um, I don't know. I don't know that it does fall short. I, I, all Star Trek series fall short at some point of something. It's hard to say something broadly about them. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I think there are ways in which it does. There are ways in which it might have a reputation or Kirk might have a reputation that mm-hmm. might not be earned by the actual facts on the ground. Um, but um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. That's the best I can do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and I need to say one thing before we end this show. This is the most important thing I will say this episode. I made a huge mistake last episode, and I need to do a major mea culpa here and ask my audience's forgiveness I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what is wrong with me. Please forgive me. I said there was only one dog in Star Trek. And Uh-oh. there are I there is one dog who felt very left out and that is Porthos. Yes, Captain Archer's beagle. I went straight for number 1 because I love number 1 and he's mm-hmm. new in my life. Porthos, the dog of Star Trek. There I mean Number one is great, but he's only been in like, you know, 12, he wasn't even 12, he was in like three episodes at most of Picard. Porthos is a major character in Enterprise. Porthos has been to like the beyond and back. He has. Porthos is the heart and soul of Enterprise. I mean, let's be (laughs) honest. He's the anchor. He's the glue that holds that crew together. I mean, Porthos is everything. So please forgive me, Enterprise fans. And also, and yeah, if it weren't for Porthos, Porthos. Yes. Why, why do I have a hard time saying that name? If it weren't for no Porthos, Scotty would not have been uh, sent Marooned off to Delta that Vega. ice planet. Yeah. And That's would right. not have come across Spock. And <sighs> Porthos had a hand in fate, sir. Yes. Destiny was achieved by a beagle. God bless him. <laughs> we love Porthos. <laughs> but I would also be remiss... If I did not mention Star Trek's other dog, the dog from Lower Decks, the dog that Tendi creates, oh. <laughs> the dog. That's fair. Yeah. I was I was trying to remember the dog's name, and I was looking it up on Memory Alpha, and I went, "Oh yeah, the dog." <laughs> this like there's a John Wayne film uh, where he's got a dog, and the dog's name is just Dog. Oh yeah. Well, and there and there's also um, a, a series which I really like. My my son really likes it called Milo Murphy's Law, and they have a dog which has the who has the best name in the world. The dog's name is Dog. 
<laughs> D-O-G. I love yeah. it. You have to, you have nice. to pronounce it right. It's D-O-G, but I, I love it. Anyway. That's clever. All right. There we go. So uh, I, hope I, I hope I attained absolution with that, uh, with that moment. Um, yeah. So, uh, Tim. Yeah, you would yeah. hate to be out in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the doghouse for a week. I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Porthos was haunting my dreams, man. Um, <laughs> oh, but anyway, um, so I, I think that uh, that's that's good, uh, Tim. What do we have coming up next week? Well, next week we will be covering the ninth episode of Discovery Season Three, Terra Firma Part One, Ooh. and see what comes up. You know, it'll be interesting. We have another Part One. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we've had a Part Three where the Part Twos were thirty, Part One and Two were thirty years ago. We had a Part mm-hmm. One that hasn't had a Part Two yet. Right. This Part One will probably have a Part Two, like in 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 Strange New Worlds or something. Who knows? Um, but or I'm they're going to go back and make another TNG episode and call it Part Two. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> or an episode of Picard, maybe. Right. Oh, there you go. Ooh, that'd be cool. Wow. That that would be cool. Oh, I'm waiting for it to to connect somehow. I still think there's going to be a connection. Well, there was um, with with uh, uh, the uh, Warrior Nine. Well, thing yeah, and, the, but the, yeah, the a, warrior, a greater yeah. connection would be cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, they're in different centuries, but still. Um, yeah. So, no, I know. well, good. Well, that's I, I'm I'm excited about it. That's very cool. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure everybody at home is looking forward to it as well. As well. In the meantime, please like, share, comment, and subscribe, and also send us your questions. Gospel According to Star Trek on Twitter and Facebook or Gospel Trek Podcast at gmail.com. We would absolutely love discussing your questions on the show. Please send us more. Tim, do you have anything else to say to the folks at home? I hope this episode has been as healing for you as it has for me. That is the sweetest thing I've heard all day. Um, that I, I that makes me so happy and i hope uh i i i hope the same for everybody at home that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the gospel according to star trek podcast thank you thank you so much for being here and until next time i'm tim van orden and i'm kevin c nice and as jesus said in john 10 10 live long and prosper see you next time <laughs>